It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Rajkapalan, Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg, explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Hello and welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PVSB, and when I'm not co-hosting this podcast, along with my partners, Sri and Brian, I serve as Partnership Acceleration Lead at Flywheel Digital, the leading managed services retail company that helps brands grow their e-commerce business. Accompanying me today uh, for our conversation is the Managing Director of Retail Cities in North America. He's also host of the Gildenberg Omnicomment LinkedIn video series and the CPG Guys Fast Forward podcast. Please join me welcoming my friend, Brian Gildenberg. Hey, Brian, uh, good to have you here. I know we're going to see each other in grocery shop in two weeks, but I think you've got maybe one or two other events you're going to go to. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great. And according to my caricature, you're not going to see me, but you're going to see the ancient actor Matthew Modine at Grocery Shop. That caricature really still kills me. But yes, prior to Grocery Shop, in addition to joining uh, my friends at uh, the Market Performance Group for a Dollar General event in Nashville, I will be at the IAB Connected Commerce event on September 13th, um, which is also coincidentally my birthday. So uh, if anybody is at that event and I will hope to see everybody there. And on the way out to grocery shop, it'll be uh, fun to see some of the crew that uh, the non-Amazon crew, Peter. So I know you're going to be out at Accelerate next week, right? So, Yeah, that should be fun. I'm interviewing uh, quite a number of people, some Amazon notables, and even my uh, my flywheel colleague, Abby, who runs actually the Perpetua division, our challenger brand. But um, yeah, looking forward to it. And Brian, now, I now by last recording, you have, what, three caricatures? You have two from Grocery Shop. You didn't like the last one, so they made you a new one, which now makes you look like Matthew Modine. And then, of course, uh, for our little shindig at Grocery Shop, I think Melissa Burdick had yet another caricature made of you where you're- y- Yes, where, 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 I, where I actually look like old Gomer Pyle. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that one. So <laughs> It is kind of comical. So I don't know what we're going to do. How many caricatures do you want to amass before you're finally satisfied? It'll take- I, I, I might just have to come to terms with the fact that I'm funny looking. So that's- uh- <laughs> uh, I think you should have interchangeable caricatures on a stick so when you're standing at Grocery Shop, you can change around who you are. I could I could just be Mr. Potato Head. That'd be super. So uh, there we go. We should probably get to the guest at some point because I mean this is fun and all. But uh, let's you know. actually do that. Um, I'm going <laughs> to remind everyone: uh, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. Uh, and if you use Apple or Spotify, particularly, please give us a rating. It helps feed the algorithm and makes our podcast more findable. Though doing a good job finding it, but we really want feedback. And while you're giving us a rating, write a review. We want to hear what interests you and what you like, what you think we can do to improve the podcast. So please do that while you're there. Uh, We also want to express how honored we are to be ranked the number one, not number two or three, Brian, number one CPG podcast for two years running, at least according to Feedspot, which is one of the leading podcast ranking authorities. And uh, joining us on the list of the top 30 are our sister cast, uh, CPG Scoop, your very own CPG Guys Fast Forward, and the FMCG Guys. And I don't know if you knew this, Brian, we're now ranked by Charitable as one of the top 50 marketing podcasts in the U.S. So, wow, pretty big stuff. That's outstanding. And if you dig into the data on Fast Forward, you know the market that Fast Forward dominates is Trinidad and Tobago. We are kicking butt there. We are. I think you're ranked number one in Trinidad and Tobago. This is huge. I'm huge in Trinidad and Tobago. So, uh, How are you doing in Liechtenstein? I, I don't know, but Trinidad and I, and I know I know why. I, I actually have a couple friends there. So uh, well, there you go. So good. The, the checks are clearing. That's awesome. Uh, we're also happy to be formal sponsors of Next Up, formerly known as Network of Executive Women, whose mission it is to uh, advance all women in business and promote the cause of gender equality. Uh, Shri is going to be appearing at the Next Up Summit at the end of September in Chicago. So that should be a really great event. Links to our podcast, our sister podcast, our landing page on Next Up. Don't have to worry about writing them down. We're not going to read them out to you and make you try and figure it all out. Just click 90 plus percent of your listening on a mobile device. Just toggle over to the digital liner notes of this episode. There are hyperlinks for all of them there. So you can get them really easy. All right. So let's, to your point, Brian, get to the main event. Our guest, if retail media is our favorite topic, then Insights is a very close second. Performance marketing, frankly, requires measurement in order to justify budgets associated with these activities, increasingly so as uh, more traditional mechanisms of advertising like 
linear television print media are declining in their influence. You know, fast-moving consumer good brands succeeding in e-commerce require constant attention to performance in both organic and paid search. So understanding the consumer path to purchase in a digitally enabled world can be quite challenging, even for the most experienced professionals. Here to help us understand how brands can build meaningful capabilities, leveraging consumer and shopper insights around digital commerce, is the head of Global Digital Commerce Insights and Analytics at Mondelez International. Professional experience also includes works at A.S. Watson, Kantar, and Anheuser-Busch. He's joining us today from jolly old England and London. Please join Brian and me in welcoming Alistair Greenwood. Alistair, how are you doing? What's going on, man? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me. How are you both doing? Uh, it is a great day here. We're coming up on the weekend. Uh, we're recording this the week of Labor Day here in the state, so it was a short week. Any short weeks are good by my standards, but thank you. Yes, we we name our bank holidays here, Alistair. We don't we don't just call them bank holidays. We come up with creative reasons to take a Monday off. So uh. it seems like a very good idea. Uh, I, well, you know, we really appreciate you taking time to speak with us today. Uh, we're excited to get into the conversation. Before we get started, would you mind giving our audience a brief overview of Mondelez International and what your role is in this big global organization? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. So, yeah, many people will or will not be familiar with the name Mondelez International, but you'll be very familiar with our brands. And um, we're a, hopefully a favorite household snacking brands for many of you. So we are a, a major multinational snacking manufacturer, and our ambition certainly is to be number one snacking manufacturer online. Some of our favorite brands that you would know well is probably Oreo and, and Ritz in the US, um, Cadbury Chocolate in the UK or Canada, um, Milka if you're a European, and potentially Lacta Chocolate if you're from Latin America. So, so many global favorite brands. In terms of my role at Mondelez, my role really is, is, is quite unique because it really bridges two key functions at Mondelez. So that's the digital commerce and the digital commerce center of excellence and our wider insights and analytics organization. So I'm the bridge between the two. And my role really sort of focuses on leading that strategic direction and capabilities development for data and analytics measurement for digital commerce. And that really then encompasses that data provision, the different kinds of that and emerging capabilities, forecasting, shopper understanding and general insights for digital commerce. So I'll make comment that uh, if I don't have at least three Toblerone bars in my household, my wife is probably calling a divorce attorney. Uh, and my daughter is currently obsessed with the golden Oreo. So yes, Mondelez is a core component of life in the Bond household. But thank you for that overview, Alistair. Uh, we're going to include in the digital liner notes of this episode links to your LinkedIn profile, uh, Mondelez's LinkedIn page, and of course, the company website, where our listeners can go and learn more about you as they're listening to this conversation unfold. So should we get to the questions? I'm going to kick it off. Um, this is kind of a philosophical one. We talk a lot, and we've been talking for years, and I went to business school. It was a core function of thinking about the marketing funnel, right, from all the way from discovery to conversion. So my question to you is this. In the age of omnichannel, is the marketing funnel philosophy still applicable? Like, how do brands create a seamless shopper journey as they try to influence purchasing behavior particularly with impulse purchases, people can kind of enter in many different places through many different mechanisms. I'd really love for you to kind of unpack that as best you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say it's a great question. And I would say 
it's very much still applicable. I think it's just much more complex for brands to manage and much less linear for shoppers in engaging, considering it and purchasing with, with brands, right? So it, it's really important that we understand really how shoppers can engage at really much more their own convenience, right? In terms of directly with brands on different platforms, do they want to explore and search? And, and so it's really an important element for brands to sort of be able to adapt to and focus on in the right way. And you mentioned um, seamless shopping, right? I, I think it's really important that we're consistent in how we come to market across any channel. And for us at Mondelez, this means executing our digital commerce flywheel with excellence. For instance, for online content, that must be the same high quality with images clearly showing brand cues, the product variant of flavor and being appealing in its usage of imagery and titles and copy of content that must be very consistent. That's really important because this is all floats through together in terms of how people connect, especially digitally. And you mentioned impulse purchases there, and that really does create an additional challenge for us. Obviously, given the time lag to fulfillment for digital commerce, and that's even if you do quick commerce, right? We call last milers, but quick commerce, even if it's half an hour, an hour, up to generally several days, if it's more of a stock up shop, that immediate consumption requirements or appeal is not there. So that key driver, as with most in-store impulse purchasing, has gone. So it means we need to communicate other cues other usage occasions and, and really use the brand to remind people and delight or even surprise shoppers in, in that way. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea because I think if you think about immediate consumption, so many more of the immediate consumption opportunities are happening at home now because people work from home, like trying to figure out how you set up the packaging strategy and the communication strategy to prompt usage in a different kind of way. is a, it's, a, it's an interesting challenge, I think. And um I guess that kind of builds on what the next question is. You know, what do you think is the the single most important development for companies to prioritize to stay ahead in e-commerce over the next couple of years? You know, I think we've already mentioned AI, so we win the prize for, you know, we were, I think we're at least six minutes in before we mentioned it. So, you know, that's a, the Vegas over under was five minutes and 45 seconds. So we went long. That's good. Um, building out technology for Web3. Please tell me that's not the answer. Building the tech stack or um, as you were referring to earlier, something maybe is it still just getting the basics right? What's the most important thing uh, from your perspective to prioritize? I would absolutely say it's doing the basics brilliantly is the most important thing in digital commerce. That is the number one. It remains the number one, and it will really encompass the majority of, of succeeding in that space. It's really the 80 of that 80-20, I believe, right? Ensuring you have the right assortment for the different channels and sub-channels you're showing up online. Are your products all in stock and available the right way? Is your content at the right quality? And do you have A-plus content where you need it? And is it working hard to drive your organic search while you're also investing choicefully in paid search and ensuring your online activations are strong, seasonally applicable, and consistent with wider brand messaging and comms? That, that for me, is absolutely the core and still the most important thing. But we know there are many shiny new toys out there. You mentioned them a, a few in your question. So it's important to really you know, take an appraisal of them and a considered view of how important they are, the emergence, the speed of development, scale, and your own business readiness. But I think if it was for, if I was going to pick one thing for going beyond continued development in the next few years, I would just say data, 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 right? For me, not just having the right data measurement, 
whether that be sales or share measurement, digital shelf analytics, e-retail media, but connected data. How are you bringing all these different data sets together for competitive advantage? I believe this is the most important area and opportunity for development in winning in CPG digital commerce in the next couple of years. That's great, Alistair. So in that respect, when we talk about data, one of the primary mechanisms for generating meaningful consumer behavior data, um, not behavioral, but uh, particularly attitudinal, is traditional kind of test and learn mechanism. Very tried and true across a market research legacy. My question is this. We used to do tests and learns where we take a group of control stores and a group of test stores and we test it at. But now people are making all sorts of different omni-channel decisions. And then you have all these different data sets. It seems like it's getting more complex. How do you instill discipline across the enterprise to ensure that if you're doing test and learns, that the outcomes are being measured in a way that gives you confidence that you understand what the outcomes were? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it, that, that rigor still needs to be applied. And that challenge is you know, increasing, as we say, given those differentiated ways to connect and the different requirements. I think, in a, you know, the majority of B2C digital commerce is still fed through that omni-channel place, right? So really store first, store fulfillment. And that, that then becomes a store-led approach, right, from what that store has to be doing that. Now, that means that it's important for a role like mine that we're still that broader insights and analytics communities are really there leading, owning in, in terms of that measurement of test and learn and those success factors and the KPIs dividing that success are, are clearly laid out and understood. Yet there's an element of differentiation required for digital commerce. And a good example is probably assortment, right? So certainly in omni-channel sense, that assortment is pretty much restricted to what is in store from where it's being fulfilled from, you know, assuming most is being fulfilled from store. But for the likes of things like pure players, right, where they, they don't have stores, but they have enormous distribution centers and therefore their assortment is, is less restricted to X number of SKUs in that store. Uh, or even last milers or quick commerce, you know, who have a, a much tighter assortment and dealing with much more unique missions. There are different requirements. So really have to be, you know, thoughtful and creative around probably the assortment, right? The assortment that we are offering. How do we differentiate that to meet with those different missions and to meet with the different requirements, both of the retailers and their economics, the shoppers and what they're looking for and, and their use occasions through that channel and those missions. And but still feeding that back to, you know, that rigor in, in, in test and learn and the measurement and KPI requirements that come with that to, to define success to move forward. Yeah, and I think that focus on assortment in the digital and physical world is an interesting build into the next question, which is, I was at Chop Talk Europe earlier this year and uh, had the pleasure of hanging with your colleague, Christina Marinucci. Um, and she um, she described this concept of fidgetal marketing. Sadly, she did not perform any of the Olivia Newton-John song, Let's Get Fidgetal, which really would have been excellent. And Christina, by the way, challenge hopefully accepted. Um, but as the blending of physical and digital experiences in the shopper journey. How do you think about measuring this? And uh, of course, as former Cantarians, Alistair, we both have to talk about the critical importance of measurement. But how do you think about measuring in the digital world, particularly when you think about digitally enabled selling, where you know the influence is digital, 
but the outcome, I mean, we used to use an expression at uh, Kantar years ago about what we called 1050 100, which was back in the days when 10% of business was e-commerce, 50% was digitally influenced and 100% was digitally transformed. So how do you think about that balance between the 1050 and the 100 or what today is, I think it's 20, 60, 100, if you actually do the math the right way? Yeah, absolutely. And we're still seeing a lot of reports coming out, Brian, right in that around, you know, high level understanding. And we see these charts, right, with online sales being, you know, sort of 10 to 20 percent ish, as you mentioned there. Yes. My, my old friend, Anne Zabatsky at Circana is now carrying forward that 206100 uh, mantra. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, we see them and then we see the store level sales, right, at, at you know, might be 30, 40 percent. And then this sort of unknown bit in the middle of digitally influence. Right. And it's like, that is amazing. However, what is in there? How do we measure it? And, um, you know, how do we really understand it and then apply that, that implication to our business? And I think it's a really important point you've mentioned because it is an emerging area. And, and it comes as well to what we see a little bit more what we're understanding around connect, you know, they call it connected commerce too. But certainly as we understand the retail ecosystems that are being developed, you know, fueled by this e-retail media and, and, and retailers something grasping, they have this sort of ecosystem and network of shoppers across all their channels, right, that digital knits together. Um, so it is important that we understand that and try and get a sense of how do we measure that across all those channels now or what elements can we measure. And this is actually something that we are looking at and we're investigating how do we measure that. So really, A, how do we define that? And B, what elements of that, if you think of that, that whole funnel in terms of, you know, the funnel you mentioned earlier on the marketing funnel, but also in terms of the path to purchase instead of pre-shop, shop, and then post, what can be measured and what can't be? And understanding, as you said, that that mix is quite important because for a lot of CPG companies, you know, there could be significant implications to resource allocation, the capabilities within those functions and, and the people leading them and the skill sets. Do we have the right skill sets? So I think it's something that could really be important in influencing that and ensuring, you know, that we're really investing in the right areas and setting ourselves up to, to win in the right ways. Yeah. My observation on that is that I think there's an interesting you know, the whole, you get what you measure, you know, expect what you inspect, all those classic phrases. There's a great quote, I think it was from Robert McNamara, who talks about, it is critical to measure what is important. It is foolish to make important that which can be measured. My observation would be that the analog world struggles with the first part of that, which is trying to figure out how to measure what's important. I think the digital world struggles with the second half of that problem enormously, which is the tendency to make important what you can measure even if it is in real life, not actually that important, but because you can measure it, you choose to make it the important thing that you're trying to do. I'd just be, be curious for your thoughts on that before we go to the next question. No, absolutely. I think that's a great concept, right? Yes, exactly. All things that can be measured are not important, right? And, and that prioritization, and especially in digital commerce, right? Resources generally are still pretty scarce because of the nature of the size of that channel and the unique requirements and the heavy cost of operating in that. So yeah, I would say you're absolutely right with that. And, and therefore, it's, it's important to be very choiceful and measured and understand. And, and then with that, be able to prioritize clearly for your business. Be measured in what you measure. I like There you go. I'll remind our audience that Brian and I are speaking today with Alistair Greenwood. He's head of global e-commerce insights and analytics at Mondelez International, the official snacking brand of the Bond household. <laughs> 
So, Alistair, my next question for you is thinking about enabling these capabilities. If you're responsible for global e-commerce analytics, you need tools to do that. So I want to understand a little bit about how you're implementing next generation analytics in your center of excellence. I mean, do you need to rely heavily on service provider partners to do the heavy lifting to provide all the capabilities? Is it about, listen, we need something that's much more tailored to our specific needs. We got to build it ourselves, this whole buy versus build thing. You know, what are the considerations that at a high level you evaluate in striking the right balance of how you build out the capabilities that you can push out to the enterprise? Yeah, that is a great question and probably one of the biggest challenges that I face in terms of as, as really making sense of that. And as I said, all that data I mentioned before, bringing that to competitive advantage to the organization, it, it's really quite a challenge. But we're exploring both options here, right? We, we need to be doing both. given the increasingly disaggregated nature of, of data for digital commerce, it's important that we have to make those strides on our own, right? Because gone are the days when our key data provision partners had it all covered to that statistically acceptable level and would just provide us with the end tool and everything was fine. It is much more complicated than that. So we have to take that exploratory view in, in key markets, right? Where we have or have sought to gain robust multifarious data provisions. And that's really been a result of the data not being available from our partners, right? And this started many years ago in the early days of people who've got digital commerce. I've been in this for quite a while. And I mean, the, the rate of growth and development has been incredibly significant and rapid. And the data provision has, has struggled to keep sense with that from a sort of, you know, big agency provider standpoint, I would say. So we've had to source data from, you know, that would often be 2P data direct from retailers, different requirements, panel capabilities, 2P EPOS data, solutions changing all the time. So we've had to sort of get this data and try and bring ourselves what we call the best available data approach, right? Have we got the best data we can get for this market, you know, within the confines that we have around capabilities, budgets and, and, and priorities, et cetera? and then build solutions in our key digital commerce markets. So prioritizing that, piloting those solutions, building them out in-house, you know, and in partnership with partners that have the data and sort of trying to sort of play both sides a little bit, but know we are in control of our own destiny to some degree and those key markets. And then similarly, where we think that we have data applicable to do that in other markets, piloting those solutions to sort of, you know, lift and apply where applicable. Now, this is a, an area of continual evolution and review, right? It is never standing still. You know, when we started that a number of years ago, we were just really focused on it was all around Omnichannel and Amazon, right? And then we've seen that the, the huge way the growth across Omnichannel with different players getting in that, pure players growing in all sorts of different markets and taking real strongholds and differentiating themselves. And then more recently, you know, you've got the emergence of, a quick commerce and that last mile of data, right, in these new solutions, especially, you know, from COVID. And that has changed in terms of the breadth of that evolving digital commerce data we're looking to integrate into such systems, but also adding to that complexity, you know. So it's being able to harmonize and integrate these data sets with other existing solutions and data is critical. 
for that measurement piece. But then now, as you said, you know, we talked earlier about retail media and, and things like digital shelf analytics. How do we bring those all together as well? Because we know they are connecting and influencing, right? What's the causation, causality of that to be able to assess that scale of importance and then help us understand, well, what's that, that impact and readiness for our business to drive those decisions that we need? So that's a key element. But we also, you know, work with those partners that we have established for a number of beta projects that they're looking at too. So, you know, we, we're looking at both keeping it an open approach to that because, again, the rate of change and development is so significant that we have to keep exploring and understanding new capabilities all the time. Yeah, and it's interesting. So as part of a, um, along with our Fresh 4 co-host, Andrea Lay, and I were both part of a working group with a bunch of different brands um, yesterday. And this was a big topic of conversation around trying to think about this. We two thoughts on this, and I think that uh, they're kind of building the next question, which is one, you know, as you just mentioned, just trying to bring those data sets together is a big piece. But then how do you create insight out of that pile, I think is a really interesting question. So what's the work you're doing on the insight side with the business units to make sure that you're doing that? Because we had a couple of thoughts that came out of this, which is one, I think so often the person in your role can get caught up in that data piece, like where you're, there's so many data sources together and you're just trying to integrate them that you end up integrating all this data and then nobody figures out like what the business requirements are, what the business questions are that you're trying to answer. So you've now got this giant pile of data, but you know, how do you ensure basically that the business unit's questions are being reflected in the data strategy? And then how do you help the business units use the insights that get generated as a result? So I guess that's a two-part question. So. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think, as you mentioned, that could, it can become very complicated, very overwhelming very quickly, right? So it's important in that that, that strategy that's laid out is very simple. There, there can be so much data that is measurable, as, as we talked about a little bit earlier. But what are the really key KPIs or key areas that we're measuring that the, all the business understands and those key targets are clearly understood and communicated and visible, right? And actually, the simpler, the better. I think in doing that, especially when you're talking about multi-markets, multi-various data solutions coming together, it really is the simpler, the better with doing that, I would say, is, is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, and I guess that's the, so the, the simplicity is interesting, right? Though, because the business problems you're trying to answer are quite complicated, right? So yeah. when you're talking about trying to link retail media data to digital shelf data and trying to figure out what the intersection is between them, I guess, how do you think through that combination of, complex business problem, but simple, quote, solution, I guess. So what's the, how do you process that? Yeah, I think that is a huge challenge, right? The, the modeling that has to go into that to understand, you know, being able to connect those data sets. And then as you say, right, you know, if you think about digital shelf trying to drive that impact to sales and share, what are the elements of that? And that modeling needs to be sort of, you know, very accurate, but it needs to be sort of pretty advanced that it can sort of understand different capabilities, different extraneous sources coming in to react to them. But at the same time, the output wants to be simple and it wants to be clear in terms of where that influence is across those elements, right? You know, right. Um, and that might be. So, so I guess if we're grasping for a metaphor here, then like the role of the insights function is kind of like the the whole cooking staff at like a Thomas Keller restaurant, right? Like you've got to take all of the ingredients and simplify it down so that that tiny piece of halibut with the perfect sauce and the little sprinkle, of the, like it looks so simple on the plate, but the preparation and the thought 
and the design that went into getting to that simplicity is, I guess, really the role of a function like yours. So, absolutely, yeah, because a lot of that lift, that complexity, right? You know, we work closely with with our team, Mondelez, our Mondelez Digital Solutions team, MDS. You know, it's a sort of our, our IT group who have a lot of capability in this area, right? With both in-house, you know, data scientist capabilities, but also with different partner agencies that they work with. And it's important that we are guiding them because it gets very detailed, very intense, very complicated. But at the same time, we need to keep the vision and the clarity to that end goal and what we're really trying to enable to deliver for the business and the business leaders making these decisions to understand it, to make the decisions that have implications and impact to the business. So that really becomes that role in, in working closely with them, understanding it, but translating those needs that commercial teams, marketing teams can really understand, benefit from and apply in their, in their roles. I think it's so challenging to be able to do all this, as you've mentioned, this world of fragmented data. Uh, it would be wonderful if every retailer that was sharing data with you delivered in exactly the same format with the same measurement techniques. I know that's a pipe dream, but <laughs> I, I'm also pretty happy that organizations like the IAB are trying to get some commonality around terms and definitions and metrics. Uh, I don't know if we're ever going to get there. How you measure incrementality for a fast-moving consumer good like a bag of cookies is fundamentally different than how you do it for a washing machine, which does not have nearly the frequency of purchase. But in any event, Brian, you mentioned Thomas Keller. Uh, do you know that my greatest secret uh, superpower is the ability to get dinner reservations at the French Laundry in per se? It's possible I knew that, Peter, and used the metaphor as an opportunity for you to describe your superpower to the audience. You served it up. You put the ball on the tee and I just hit it out of the park. <laughs> I am like a University of Nebraska women's volleyball player with my setup skills. So uh, 92,000 people are going to watch me do it. I am not going to divulge on this podcast how to do it. But if you are a listener and you are so intent upon going to one of those iconic restaurants in uh, Napa Valley or per se at, uh, at Time Warner Center in New York City, Please, you can't spell Peter V.S. Bond without per se, as they say. That is correct. So. That is good. <laughs> Just I had to do that in my head there. But uh, message me on LinkedIn and I'll be more than happy to help you with the process. But that being said, that's not why we're here today. <laughs> you know, I love to go off on tangents, Brian. But in any event, uh, <laughs> let me let me close this out. Uh, my last question for you. Alistair, how, how does your global insights function help us get reservations at good restaurants? <laughs> Uh, yes, I haven't thrown that in the model yet, but we, we can. Can you analyze the effectiveness of Peter's technique? Yes, it's good. It's very, I'll, I'll give you one hint. It is very analog. All right. So uh, my last question to you, Alistair, is um, really about the future of e-commerce centers of excellence. I understand why they were formed, right? Organizations looking, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, that weren't up to speed, particularly um, when I think about perishable food organizations where e-commerce was virtually uh, non-existent in terms of its influence on their entire sales organization. Quickly, they had to ramp up. They didn't necessarily have the skill sets, and we've been talking a little bit about that today. So as you've been maturing out the center of excellence, my question to you is, how do you think about rolling those skills and disciplines back into the business units? And at some point, you know, does the value of the COA diminish in the process or does it just change? What do you see as being kind of the looking three, five years out as being 
the mandate of the e-commerce center of excellence at CPG Brands? Yeah, that is a great question. And I wish I had that crystal ball to help me in answering that one. But look, I, I think that, as you laid out already, has played a key role, certainly in the last sort of, you know, within five years and the changing um, macro landscape we've been in and the acceleration in this in digital commerce. But I actually think that they will remain a robust and vital part of most CPG organizations, or certainly should do. Because even though that there's many of those, as that development happens in each market, and as you talked about those skills, you know, and capabilities rolling into those business units, there's still a hugely different landscape in each market, right? There's different dominance. So we talk a little bit about digital commerce in, in the element of those sub-channels, right? So that clear omni-channel way, but where does pure play role? I mean, you can talk about certainly from a, from a US perspective that the growth and acceleration and capabilities that in the US grocery e-commerce market are really have been led by everyone chasing Amazon down 10 years ago or starting 10 years ago to try and do that, right? Now, what that means is we have very different landscapes in each market. They're going to grow at different rates. The evolution of that quick commerce, last miler approach is critical in many markets. And we see there's more in it, especially in more emerging markets that they're taking on a key role. Other markets, some key retailers are nervous about the capital resource to get sort of, you know, their own digital commerce delivery solutions and logistics requirements. So partners come in and do that. Many of those might be in that sort of aggregator space. And then the growth of pure players, these big titans, Alibaba, JD, um, Rakuten, Amazon, Mercado Libre, these guys are you know, very big businesses that are growing. So bringing that back to that COE element, it's really that that key strategy is 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 key to be owned and held by that team, right? But that is not just a fixed strategy. That has to evolve over time. And we've seen that in certainly how we're operating. You know, during COVID, post-COVID, those requirements, it's an it's an evolution all the time. And the requirements for building those capabilities and investing and prioritizing are still very much there, especially with additional cost challenges that are in the businesses and consumers at the moment. So it's critical that that, that focus is staying. But it's also being able to be key in terms of lifting and understanding best practice from different regions, different markets, and applying those to different areas. So really being able to sort of lift and apply and, and you know, really then incubate some of them in certain markets to be able to sort of give them a chance for differentiation, acceleration, and growth that wouldn't ordinarily have been able to do. So that fast tracking those emerging solutions really can be an important thing. And the COE can be a real enabler and guardian of that. Yeah, well, this is a, and this is a fascinating topic because we could do a whole podcast on what the role is of a global COE intersecting in markets. And in a world like this, this is actually the topic of the group I was talking about yesterday. That was the whole day um, about trying to understand, like, because you get into these situations, right, where you get somebody who's like managing, it's like, oh, we'll have a regional person for Asia. Okay, cool. That's Japan, Korea, China, and Southeast Asia, which are markets from an e-commerce point of view that have almost nothing in common with each other. And you've got one person jet lag trying to navigate all that stuff in one two-week trip a quarter to Asia, and their brain melts. And even in Europe, I mean, the UK, France, and Germany really aren't terribly similar from an e-commerce market construction point of view, particularly in food. So, and particularly in quick commerce, which is such a big deal in Germany, not that big a deal in France, and a very different deal in the UK. 
And then you've got just the whole, I just think it's a fascinating conversation to have around that notion of how you lift and apply and how you choose to lift and apply. It's just such an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It is critical. And that's sort of, I think, where that little bit intangible role of those COEs um, happens. It's a little bit of, you know, the, where the magic comes in. And, th- and that very much comes from having people that understand not the detail in each of these markets, but as you laid out a little bit there, right, understanding the complexities, similarities and differences of these markets and the landscapes and how shoppers interject with them, the key players and, and how they come to market and what they offer. That is critical to be able to then to sort of, you know, bring the intangible together of, of, of thinking, and not everything works, of course, but be able to sort of understand where that lift and apply could be, just connecting with those different leaders around the world and, and sharing that information, right, and bringing best practice in certain areas can really help the teams to then, okay, well, we'll take on and test and learn in this market. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but really can open up that, that capability. So that's why I think it plays a key role in that connectivity to ensure that, um, that sharing, that understanding, and that future growth. All right. I want to remind our audience to visit cpgguys.com. You can find all of our content. Uh, our episodes are filterable by topic, like retail media or analytics, quite a number of others. Uh, so please avail yourselves of that if you want to find episodes that are particularly relevant to your area of interest. And if you think your company or you have some thought leadership to contribute to this ongoing discussion we're having in our little community, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com and maybe you can join us for a future episode of this podcast. Don't forget, while you're at cpgguys.com on the navigation bar at the top, click on ratings, leave us a rating, write a review. We want your feedback. We want what we discuss to be aligned to what our audience is interested in. We're trying to be both educational and entertaining. Uh, hopefully, we do a little of both in the process. And of course, Brian, Shree, and I want to thank all of you. There are so many. In fact, if those of you are watching, if you can see it on video, uh, I'm wearing a lovely new shirt that uh, we had made to commemorate the 25,000 followers we've now amassed on LinkedIn. We are so grateful. By the way, Alistair, here's an offshoot story. When we sat down with our account at the end of last year to go over all of our expenses and everything, he said, do you know what your biggest line item of expenses are? And we were like, we're going, we travel all these conferences. It's got to be travel. He goes, no, 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 it's swag. You guys, you guys just buy a lot of swag. (laughs) (laughs) And to that end, uh, you'll find an email from me, Alistair, and you'll get to choose uh, the CPT guys shirt of your choice. The swag of your choice is available. So, uh, much appreciated. The swag of your choice is coming your way. But uh, th- seriously, though, thanks to everybody for uh, the 25,000 followers we have on LinkedIn. We're so grateful that you choose us for education and entertainment purposes. It gives us endless joy to know that uh, so many people and running into people at conferences, airports, just about anywhere. It's quite remarkable and, and we all love it. So thank you for the feedback. Alistair, thanks for taking time to speak with us today. This is a great conversation. We really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed the discussion. Uh, absolutely. And um, much appreciated. Brian, this was awesome. I, I would love to hear uh, some of the more salient points of the conversation with Alistair that resonated with you. Yeah, I also want to thank Alistair for making the time and from one research nerd to another. Uh, uh, thank you for carving out time in your, uh, your, your busy calendar of uh, pivot tables and uh, <laughs> pivot tables and regression analyses to come and uh, share perspective. So, um, I think there's a bunch of interesting stuff in here. And I really do think this idea of 
the core idea, Alistair, that I think you hit on a number of times, which is the importance of tying data strategy to strategy, like not just like data strategy is two words. And I think so often you can get lost in the data and forget the strategy or get lost in the strategy and not think through what the data needs are. But those two words need to be a complete phrase and solved in parallel. And I think that was sort of the overarching theme of what you talked about. Um, I think the observations on a less linear path to purchase and the ability to measure and navigate that, I think, is a critical role that that measurement plays, whether it is, you know, as I told somebody once, it's like, well, you know, it's got to start and an end. I assure you there's a line in there somewhere. I remember eighth grade geometry pretty clearly. But in terms of how recursive that line is or how or how straight or crooked it is, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I love the phrase the, that the brilliant basics are the 80 of the 80-20. And that's one I may borrow. I think that's incredibly important. And I think especially in a global COE where you're your brilliant basics capabilities around the world are going to be all over the map, not just by country, but even by brand uh, in a multi-branded company, trying to figure out how to balance that is a really big one. I love the emphasis that you put in the early part of the conversation around assortment and to be choiceful about what the assortment is that you're presenting. I think portfolio strategy is a deeply underrated part of commerce management. And whether that is figuring out what of your portfolio should be where or what isn't in your portfolio that should be, given the needs of commerce. I think this is going to be an enormous conversation over the next year or two. As once you get the brilliant basics done, the 20 of the 80-20 is figuring out, now what do I do differently based on the fact that the actual trading environment has changed so completely? Um, I love be measured and what you measure. I think that was a really cool concept um, in terms of really thinking through the balancing of what you can measure versus what you should and, and allocating resources appropriately. Peter, I've decided that I am now going to be known. My rap name is not going to be the notorious B-I-G, but the multifarious B-L-G. So uh, I love having the Brits on the podcast. You always come up with one word I've never heard of before. So I'm going to be the multifarious B-L-G from this point forward in terms of a great description for disaggregated data. Um, I like best available data, which acronyms to BAD. So if you're ever talking about bad data, it's like, well, it's bad, but it's the best available data. That's, that's what it stands for. So I think, and I actually do think that's a really important concept. I think particularly, Alistair, as we well know from our life in the research world, researchers have a tendency to make the perfect, the blood enemy of good enough to make a decision from. And uh, I think when you're managing an insights team, that's one of the critical things that you've got to be able to bring to the table. I love your whole quest for simple and trying to figure out how do you take all this complexity and create the Thomas Keller plate at the end. Um, that learn and apply conversation, as I said, is one I think we could have all day about what the right way is to approach the global world. I still remember one of my favorite moments of my life was when I was at a Walmart international meeting years ago. And the Chileans were sitting with the Latin Americans. And if you know the Chilean retail market, it has nothing in common with the rest of Latin America at all. It's way more like Canada or the UK. So I literally took the team and I physically moved them to the Canada and the UK table. You've never seen happier people in your life than the Chileans who actually got to talk to people about a market that was similar to theirs instead of talking to the Brazilians about a market which has nothing to do with them at all. So they don't speak the same language. They don't run the same go-to-market strategy. Brazil's a completely different place than Chile. Just because it's geographically near it doesn't make it similar. So I just think those conversations, I could spend all day on that stuff. And at Retail Cities, um, shameless plug, we often do. Uh, but hey, Alistair, thank you for uh, making the time. Really appreciate it. No, thank you, Brian, as always. 
Brian, thanks for that great summary. We'll have to unpack it. We'll uh, probably have to make some T-shirts with your new rap name on it. I think that's probably in order. Maybe it. Maybe it. Yes, the, mul- the multifarious BLG. I'm a- and maybe it. Maybe a tattoo in Las Vegas. I don't know. My debut album, Vanilla Thunder, is coming soon. So, uh- <laughs> <laughs> but I think we are going to have to get Shree go to per se altogether. The great thing is we can do the nine course tasting menu because they have a vegetarian option. So Shree will will not be left out in the dust. But thank you again, as always. Go ahead. I think your hip hop name should be Nilla Wafer. Nilla Wafer. I think that's true. That's quite appropriate. (laughs) But in any event, Brian, thanks again for joining me on today's episode. And to our audience, we're so grateful, uh, as always, that you join us for these conversations. We look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of, wait for it, the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.